0: You're listening to the Deeper Christian Bible Study series in the book of Ephesians. Thank you for joining me, Nathan Johnson, on an in-depth, verse-by-verse study of this incredible book by Paul. Now, let's dive into the lesson for today. Uh, Well, this morning I want to continue in our uh, Ephesians study. And uh, so if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, in the last study, we were looking at uh, the end of verse Uh, or sorry, the beginning of verse 18. And uh, what I want to do is just read afresh, just so it's in our mind, the context, uh, which is verse 15 down through verse 19. So uh, this is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Paul writes this, Uh, Therefore I also, after hearing of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, mentioning you in my prayers, so that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. That the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance among the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Again, Paul is in the middle of his prayer section, and he says in verse 15 and 16 that, that uh, he has heard of something in the church in Ephesus, and it's the fact of their overwhelming faith and their tremendous love for one another. And because of that, verse 16, he just cannot stop but give thanks to God for them, uh, continually making mention of them in in his prayers. And then he mentions in verse 17, he actually gets into the very heart of the prayer itself, and he says that he's asking God that God would bestow upon them the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. And I know contextually he's speaking specifically to those in Ephesus, but obviously by extension he's talking to all believers, <clears throat> and his prayer is that the Christians uh, that the Christians would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Again, revelation is this idea of an unveiling. It's a pulling back of the curtain, if you will. Uh, wisdom here is the idea of the deep things of God, or it's the perspective, the mind of God. And so what he's praying for then is that, that there would just be this pulling back of the curtain of the deep things of God in your life. And all of this would lead to a knowledge of him. And again, knowledge not in the sense of knowing facts and data and information about him, but actually getting wrapped up in intimacy and relationship with him. Uh, And obviously that's the heart of the whole message of what Paul's been proclaiming in the book of Ephesians thus far. Now last time we were looking at verse 18, and Paul says, he's praying that the eyes of your heart, being enlightened, that you would know three key things. And we mentioned the fact that <clears throat> there's this idea that, hey, uh, the way that we are born is that our heart is dark, our heart is corrupt, our heart is calloused, and what has God done? He has shined his brilliant light into our life and has turned us from this kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Uh, he's transferred us from the kingdom of uh, just the, the twisted pollution, the, the sin, the, the junk of the world, and he's brought us into the near, dear kingdom of his son, as Paul would write. Uh, that he is... in. Enlightened our lives, that He has shined His light in our life, that He has changed our hearts. Uh, or as Ezekiel says, He's taken us from a heart of stone and brought us into a place of a heart of flesh. And all of that <clears throat> was for the reason that you would know three key things. Uh, number one, what is the hope of His calling? Uh, verse 18. Uh, verse, uh, number two, which is at the end of verse 18, that you would know the riches of the glory of His inheritance among the saints. And number three, what is the surpassing greatness of his power? And uh, what I'd like to do over these next couple of studies is, is look at each of these aspects individually. Uh, so this morning I want to look at the first thing that he wants you to know, which is the hope of his calling. Uh, it's interesting to note that the word know there, that you would know these three things, <clears throat> it's the idea, it's the word oida, yeah, it's that idea of perception and understanding. It's the idea that you get a clue, you have an insight, that you begin to see it. And so what Paul is saying is that, and I think this is kind of a neat play on words, that here is your heart that is dark. And he says, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart would be opened up so that you can actually see these three things. So he's using that language of seeing and perspective kind of in two different ways, and it's kind of a fun play on words there. But again, his desire, his prayer to God is that somehow you would open up and you would have this perspective that, that you begin to recognize and realize three key things that he's wanting God to do in your life. So uh, let's look at the first one. Again, Paul says, verse 18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you would perceive or that you would see or that you would know, number one, what is the hope of his calling. <clears throat> it's interesting there that the word hope, uh, it's not a verb. In other words, it's not that I'm doing an action of hoping. Uh Christmas comes around. You're a little kid, and you really, really hope you get the, you know, the little pony. You know, you're you're asking your parents, "Hey, mom and dad, I really want a horse. I want a pony. Could I please have a pony, or maybe a bicycle, or a toy truck, or whatever it was, a whistle? You know, whatever it is for you." And uh, so here you are, Christmas morning, and uh, you wake up, and oh, you're you're ex- you're expectant, you're excited, you're hopeful, and you have placed your hope in this desire. And so you run down to the tree, and you're. You know, you're looking at all the presents to see, you know, if one's about the size of a horse, you know, and see, see if it's going to work out for you, right? It's not that idea in the passage. It's not a, it's not a verb in the sense of, uh, I have a hope. I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, I'm, I'm doing this action called hoping. The idea, it's a noun. So I have hope itself. In fact, maybe a better way to think of it in the passage, it, it's not the idea that, oh, I hope that I have a calling, oh, I just, I can't wait to find out what my calling is. I'm, I'm very hopeful about my calling. that That's not the idea. It's more of the idea that you have a calling which produces the hope in your life. That as a Christian, that you have this absolute assurance that there is a confidence, that there is a richness, there is a, there is a foundation, that there is a solid platform that you can stand upon. And it's not jello. It's not wishy-washy. It's not a well, I, I really hope that one day I'll, I'll discover God's will for my life. No, no, no. You have a calling in your life, and because you have a calling in your life, that calling then is producing the hope of, of why you can stay secure and firm in your life. So the hope of his calling then is not a hope that you have a calling. It's you have a calling which produces the hope. That there's an absolute assurance that you can have in your life because you are called if you're a Christian, there is a calling on your life, which is awesome. Which then begs the question, what is the calling? Uh, It's always interesting, every springtime, every spring, uh, the same dumb questions come out every single spring. Uh, It gets close to graduation year, or graduation season, and everyone's asking the same dumb questions. Now, if you're Graduating from high school, you get the same questions. If you're graduating from college, you get the same questions. You know, if you're, if you're, whatever, whatever season you're in, you're always getting the same dumb questions. Um, I remember I was graduating from seminary, and uh, and of course everyone's, you know, you know, excited about future missions or ministry or some aspect of that nature. And uh, so people keep coming up to you, and it's graduation season, and again they they start asking the same dumb questions, like, "Hey, uh, so what are you gonna do? And where are you gonna go? And you know, what, what's the calling on your life? And what, what is God doing in you? And, and in fact, I, I got so tired of the questions. I wanted to make a t-shirt that was just like, yep, nope, I don't know. And then I could just point to one of them, you know, based on the question and just be like, here, you know. And, uh, but, but regardless, it's interesting that I remember that whole season, the question that kept coming out in terms of, at least with the seminary crowd is, hey, what is it that God has called you to? Which is, is, is a good question. And I had some friends of mine who were like, well, you know, I'm, <clears throat> God has called me to be a missionary in this foreign country to this people group. And I was like, wow, that's awesome that that God has given you the clarity that, man, I'm supposed to go over to, to that place and to these people. And I, I had some friends who were like, I, I am called to be a pastor. And my my calling is is over here to this city. And I know that I'm called to this church. And I, I, I think I'm going to spend probably my next 20, 30 years ministering in this church. I was like, wow, that's awesome. And I had some friends who were like, well, I I don't know where God has me, but hey, I at least know that I'm to be an evangelist, or I'm to be a pastor, or I'm to be a a missionary, or whatever it may be. It's interesting that biblically, God does call us to those kind of things. Uh, That there is this idea of calling throughout Scripture, which is a very distinct, uh, unique, professional kind of a calling. That God may call you to be a teacher, or a plumber, or a circus clown, or, or whatever it may be, right? I guess those are my three go-tos, I guess. But uh, but that's not the idea here. See, people would come to me after you know, at the seminary thing and be like, Nathan, what, what has God called you to? And I'd be like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but what, what's, what's the passion he's given you on, on, on your heart? What's the, what, what, what direction is he leading you? And it was funny. I got to the point. It started as a joke. Uh, and then it finally dawned on me. I'm like, I actually think this is true. So they would say, hey, you know, what are you called to? Oh, I'm called to be a missionary. Hey, what are you called to? I'm called to be a pastor. Nathan, what are you called to? And my, my default answer was, oh, my calling is Jesus. And of course, I said it as a joke originally. And of course, I'd always, I know, I know, everyone's called that. But no, no, like, what are you called to? And it finally dawned on me, and I said, no, 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 I, I think I'm actually starting to get this. My calling is actually Jesus. That what he has called me to, <clears throat> and I'm not against the profession thing, because, hey, I, he calls people into those kind of things. But it seems like that's a secondary calling. Because the primary calling on every Christian's life is a person. His name is Jesus. And what is so phenomenal about that is you recognize that, that yeah, he may call you in a profession. But, but for me, if my calling is Jesus, my profession may look different based on what year I am in life. But my calling never changes. A mentor of mine once said it's interesting that, you know, if your calling is preaching and, and your whole life is wrapped up in the preaching, he goes, What happens if you get cancer of the throat? What what does that say about your calling now that you can't speak? And you know, what what does that mean in your life then if your calling has now been sabotaged by this cancer? He says, But wouldn't it be interesting if the calling in your life was Jesus and you just happen to be preaching? Because hey, you get you get hey, you're a preacher. But I get cancer of the throat. That doesn't change my calling. That that just it just changes my focus. And yeah, I may be doing preaching right now. But but hey, if my calling is Jesus, and I get cancer of the throat, well well maybe God is moving me over into this direction. But my calling doesn't change. I really like that concept. And at least from from my life. And again again, I'm not against the whole. I'm called to be a missionary. I'm called to you know human trafficking. I'm called to be a plumber and or whatever it may be. I'm not against that. I think that's phenomenal. But see, in my life, see, I, the primary calling in my life is a person. His name is Jesus. And it seems like as you walk through, specifically the New Testament, that is the, that is the tenor of the scriptures when it comes to this idea of calling. That the calling in your life is not to an activity. The calling in your life is to a person getting wrapped up in intimacy and transformation by that person. His name is Jesus. And yes, there may be a secondary calling on your life, which may be, you know, a teacher, a plumber, a circus clown, missions, pastoral, whatever that may be, and that's phenomenal. But the primary calling that God has in your life is to get wrapped up in a person whose name is Jesus. It's interesting, even that word calling shows up 11 times in the New Testament, and all of them are spoken by Paul, except one time is by Peter. All of them have this undercurrent of it's relational. It's not activity. It's it's not a job description. It's not, well, go out and do this. That's your calling. That, that there's this undercurrent of the idea of calling, which is relational. So I made a short list. <laughs> I just want to read you my list <clears throat> of the things that you are called to. In other words, again, it's not activity. It, it's not a job description. It's not a list of duties. This is not a buckle down, grit your teeth, pull it off. See, the calling, the primary calling that God has in your life is relational. It's, it's intimacy. So if that is true and the calling and purpose of our life is supposed to be Jesus, then, then here's my list. <clears throat> if that's true, then he is to be the sole word upon our lips, the single thought upon our mind, the delight of our heart, the ache of our soul, the tune of our song, the drive of our life, the focus of our eye, the excitement of our day, the depth of our being. He used to be our sole attention, our number one focus, our single delight, our only drive, our consuming passion, our turn on, the beat of our heart, the flow of our life, the every thought within our mind, the word upon our lips, our life's energy and resource. In short, he's to be everything. See, that is the reality of calling in your life. That again, you're not called to activity as much as you are called to a person. Now, that person who lives inside of your life through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is going to produce activities. But this is not, I have activities, therefore I have a calling. This is, woo, I have a calling who's a person. And that person who lives inside of me begins to produce something in and through my life. And yeah, there's action. So we're not talking about passivity here. And we're not just talking about just sit on the couch, eat bonbons, and, you know, let God do something in you. This is, hey, you're, you're actively involved, but the action comes out of the intimacy. That, that the flow of your life is coming from this calling, this position that you have in Christ Jesus jesus uh, listen listen what paul tells timothy in second timothy 1 9 <clears throat> paul says speaking about jesus that he has saved us and called us with a holy calling not according to our words but according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in christ jesus before time began so you just get this tone that this whole thing is relational Now, what I want to do is I like to give you two aspects of this idea of calling. That uh, when you look at this word calling, it's the Greek word klesis. Uh, When you look at this idea of calling, there seems to be two concepts or two aspects to this idea of calling. Uh, Number one is the idea of a name. The giving of a name. Uh, Again, in the New Testament, this word klesis is only used uh, 11 times. But when you come back to the Old Testament and you look at the Old Testament in the Greek, the Septuagint, it's fascinating. That word calling shows up over 700 times in the Old Testament. And it's used all over the place. And and, and oftentimes that word calling is used in reference to someone giving a name of something else. Uh, For example, uh, God says, let there be light. And he looked at the light and he called the light, "light." Right, it's it's that idea. Uh, It's it's the idea that uh, God brings all the animals before Adam, and He says, "You get the privilege of naming the animals." So He looks at this one; it's fluffy. He gets really excited. He just goes, "Oh, I love you." He goes, "I'm going to call you a dog." He brings this other one; it's fluffy, but it's self-centered. It's just mean and nasty. He's just I just I'm all hey. It looks. He just thinks it's God. He goes, I'm going to call you a cat. You know, I mean, so he looks at this one. He's going to call it an ostrich. He looks at this one. It's going to be an aardvark. He's going to look at this one. It's a hippopotamus, right? He looks at this one. It's a, and he just, he goes down the line and Adam names, calls the animals. That's that, that's that word. And uh, again, uh, people, uh, Jacob is wrestling with God and he renames the place, right? So this stuff happens all throughout the Old Testament, <clears throat> excuse me, where God or, or somebody else is giving names to a person, a place, or a thing. And so again, almost 700 times throughout the Old Testament, this idea of name or calling shows up. Isn't it interesting when, when, we, when, when we bring that idea into the New Testament and the fact that you have a calling, do you recognize that, that one aspect of that is that you are receiving, in the, in the fact that you are called, you have received a name. And it's relational. Uh, haven't you ever looked at best friends or uh, spouses or parents with their kids? They, they always have these nicknames. Like, like Eric is renowned for nicknames. Right? Uh, Hudson, when, when Hudson was born, they called him B, like the letter B. And it's because Leslie's nickname for Eric was Beef. Beef because Eric would try to go work out and, you know, to encourage him, because he had a hard time growing muscles. You know, Leslie called him Beef. Uh Beef. I probably shouldn't be saying this publicly, but. Uh, and so when, when Hudson was born, their firstborn, they started to call him Little Beef and then just called him B, and he was B. And then when Harper was born and she was P, you know, Kipling was born, and he was Dub or Dubber or Dubber Dewey. And so Eric, Eric loves nicknames. Right? You you look at couples and they start having these really dumb n- nicknames like Lovey, Cupcake, Darling, Honey, Muffin, Sugar Plum. Why are most of these food? Isn't that interesting? <clears throat> uh, but it's this. It's just, There's a an affection and therefore there's a giving of a name. Do you recognize God does that in our life? That He gives you a name. In fact, I, I love this idea, that. Uh, that in marriage, you recognize that the woman takes on the name of her groom. Why? It's a, it's a sign of relationship. It's a sign of intimacy. It's a sign of, that I am taking on not just your name, but your reputation. And, and all, all of that is included in this idea. Isn't it, isn't it just amazing that as Christians, we are called Christians, that we literally are the ones who bear his name? Now, maybe that doesn't mean much to you, but uh, if you look at Revelation, I just think this is awesome. Uh, Revelation chapter 2, uh, in verse 17, Jesus is speaking uh, to the church in uh, Pergamum, and he makes this statement. Oh, this is awesome. Uh, Revelation two seventeen. he says, I will give him a white stone, and on this stone a new name written, which no one knows except he who receives it. Speaking to the believers, to the churches. Isn't it interesting that Jesus is saying, oh, there's coming a day when you're going to be given this stone, and on the stone is going to be written a name, and it's only you and him who's going to know what that name is. In other words, you get a pet name from Jesus. You, you get this special name from Jesus. You, you get a name that only you and he and the relationship and intimacy that you have with him are going to share now, it seems like it's going to be in, in the heavenlies, and I, I get that. But I've always wondered, wouldn't it be neat if I can get so tight with Jesus, this side of heaven, that it's just like I begin to hear him just whisper my name to me? That somehow I get so wrapped up in the intimacy and the oneness with Jesus that, that somehow that, that name becomes reality in my life even now. And hey, you have a calling on your life. And one of the aspects of this calling is the fact that, hey, there's this idea of the naming thing. And, and part of the calling is that, hey, you are known as a Christian, which means, hey, you are the one who bears his name. In fact, you are going to be so intimate with him because the calling is relational that you're going to be so intimate with him that he is going to give you your own name that only you and he know about. Oh, I think that's amazing. Uh, the second aspect of this idea of calling in our passage <coughs> excuse me, uh, is not just the idea of a name, uh, but it's the idea of a banquet. It's really interesting to me that that when you look at the Greek word klesis, the Greek understanding of that word was a call or an invitation to a feast or a banquet. Now, you got to recognize that in the culture of which Paul is writing here, feasts and banquets were really, really significant. In fact, to share a meal with anybody was an invitation for relationship. I, I love the story here's Jesus, he, he, you know, he raises from the dead and uh, he's up at the Sea of Galilee and the, the disciples are out fishing overnight. And of course, Peter has denied him three times and just obviously just in this grief and this turmoil and, and all this stuff is stirring within him. And, and they had gone fishing all night and, and Peter is coming back to the, uh, back to the shore and, and there's this man standing there and goes, hey, did you catch anything? And Peter's like, no, we didn't catch anything. And Jesus says, hey, let down the net on the other side. And they throw down the net on the other side and they, they had this huge amount of fish that come out of that. Peter recognizes it's Jesus, jumps out of the boat, comes to the shore, and here's Jesus already with a fire cooking some hot dogs, or is fish. But, you know, in our context, it's probably been hot dogs. And uh, so here's Jesus with his fish, and, <clears throat> and Jesus invites Peter over to have breakfast with him. And we miss the fact, and of course that's the whole passage in John where Jesus says, hey, Peter, do you love me? And hey, feed my sheep, that whole thing. And he brings restoration to the life of Peter, but we forget that in that context, the mere fact that Jesus is inviting Peter over to a meal is a sign that he wants to bring restoration in the relationship. Because sharing a meal in the, in the context of this culture, is, it was an invitation was an invitation for a relationship. So think about this. There, and the idea of the calling is this idea of the invitation to a feast or a banquet, which immediately sets this tone of, again, it's relational. <clears throat> But even in the banquet idea, it's fascinating that you've got to think in terms of the culture of how the banquets were set up. Jesus tells this parable of, hey, if someone invites you to the banquet, don't just presume you're the best and go sit at the head of the table. It'd actually be better for you to sit at the far end of the table and let someone bring you closer up. Well, what is he talking about? Well, in this culture, uh, the fact that you got invited to the banquet was significant. Obviously, it was a sign of relationship, and it means that at least you were somebody. But where you sat at the table was a sign of your importance to the host. So the closer that you got to the head of the table where the host sat, whoo, the more important you really were. So, hey, if you got to sit way down at the very end, hey, at least you got an invitation. But the closer you got now, as you got closer and closer and closer, of course, you had the, the people on the two ends next to the head of the table. And what's interesting is the one on the right tend to have more significance than even the one on the left. And the one on the right actually got a bigger share of the food. So the most important person at the table was the one who sat at the right hand of the person at the banquet. (coughs) Excuse me. So again, there's this whole undercurrent in this idea of the banquet, which is relational. It's positional. It's how important are you kind of a thing. So think about this. You have a calling on your life. And not only is there this idea of the name and the fact that you've received a name, but there's this invitation to a banquet which again you got to think in terms of it's relational but it's not just relational well at least you hey, at least you got invited you're at the very end of the table the idea in the passage is that it's not that you're just at the very end of the table he has brought you and set you right smack dab next to the host the host's seat that, that, hey, he's going to give you the biggest share of the food. That, that he wants, hey, you are in the position of the greatest relationship. Why? You're called. That, to me, is awesome. By the way, this whole idea shows up in the book of Song of Solomon uh, in two ways. One, the fact that in the book of Song of Solomon, uh, the the woman bears the name of the groom. In fact, it, it, even in the Hebrew, it's the feminine form of the word Solomon. Uh, or, you know, it's the idea of like Selima or the uh, Solima, kind of an idea. But isn't it interesting in, in uh, Sol- uh, Song of Solomon 2.4, the, the woman is talking about the groom and she writes, He has brought me to the banqueting table and his banner over me is love. In other words, he's invited me in. He's called me. He's brought me into relationship. He sat me at the closest spot. In fact, we're told in chapter 2 of Ephesians, that you are so close to the head of the table that you're not just sitting next to Jesus, you're actually sitting in his seat, in Jesus. That your position is in him, which is just phenomenal. So hey, this is, hey, you, you've been brought in. You have the best seat. He's gonna give you the abundance of richness and, and all, all the best food and all the drink you can have. He just dotes upon you. In fact, he puts this big banner above you that just says love. Why? Because he is madly in love with you. See, this whole thing is relational. This whole thing is about intimacy. So think about this. Paul says, wow, God has taken your hard heart. He's taken this heart of darkness, and he's enlightened it. He's shined his brilliant light upon it. Why? So that you could see and perceive and understand three things. And the first of that is, wow, would you just, would you recognize that you have a hope of a calling? Again, not hope that you have a calling, You have a calling which produces a hope, this absolute assurance in your life. Well, what's my calling? Jesus. And in this calling that he's invited you into greater relationship and intimacy and oneness, in fact, he's given you his name, that that he's calling you a Christian. In fact, he has a special name only for you. And yeah, we may have to wait till heaven to get this, but but wow, that we are going to be so intimate with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that we have a special pet name from Jesus. And it's only going to be a name that he and I know. And he's going to be whispering it into my ear. And why? Because we have we have deep relationship. In fact, he's, he's invited me into a banquet. He has called me over to this feast. And he didn't just let me sit at the far end of a table. See, he, he he called me into the banqueting table and he uh, the and he just brought me close. In fact, he, he sits me in his very seat right where he's at. And now my position at the banquet is in him. And the Song of Solomon says that he has this huge banner above us that he's just doting and just, he's just loving on us. And See, do you recognize that you have a calling? And yeah, you may have a calling in the sense of I'm a plumber. You know, I'm, I'm going to be a trucker. I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to be a missionary. And hey, all that is legitimate. But you recognize that your primary calling, at least according to the scriptures, is that your calling is intimacy. Your calling is a person. Your calling is transformation. And Paul wants us to perceive that. He wants us to see that. He he wants us to grab a hold of that. And I don't know about you, but in my life, man, if, if if I could truly grab a hold of that concept, that would change how I live. That would change how I think. That would change how I talk. That would change how I engage the world. Why? Because I'd be living from a place of intimacy. I'd be living from a place of that, that there's this absolute confidence and assurance in my life with this hope. Why? Because I have a calling. And wouldn't it Wouldn't be neat for you to be marching out into the world and going down to your job or going down to your school with just this overwhelming hope because you've understood and you see your calling? See, see what would happen if you weren't afraid to share the gospel? Because... You no longer care what people thought of you. Why? Because you have a calling. See, see, what if you weren't living to people's expectations anymore? Why? Because wow, I, I have a calling. See, see, what if just the bubbling forth of your life, no matter the circumstance, was, Well, wow, I just I've got peace and joy. In fact, the fruits of the spirit is that which is being evidenced out of my life. So love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control is just the natural disposition and description of my life why because wow i have a calling and that calling is producing hope in my life paul says you've got to grab a hold of that you've got to understand that and one of the things that paul has been praying for you for is that wow that you would get wrapped up and that you would understand and you would know the hope of your calling which is a person it's awesome let's pray lord Lord, we want to know our calling. And Lord, the the fact that you're calling us is not to an activity. It's not to some obligation. It's not to some duty. It's not to some thing we have to check off our list. Lord, would you let us understand that the calling that we have on our life is you. That we're to get wrapped up in you and behold you and think about you and delight ourselves in you and Lord, our position is to be in You. In fact, You've taken Your nature and Your character and Your attitude and You've placed it within us and we get to be partakers of the divine nature that God gets to live inside of us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and that You've bestowed Your name upon us and we are known as Christians. In fact, Jesus, we are to be so intimate that that You have a special name just for us. What would it look like if we... Would so pursue you what what would it look like jesus if we just ran after you what would it look like if if we got so tight with you and we were so madly in love with you and we were just living from your resource and we, we were so tight that our mind was invaded with your mind our heart was transformed and we it was replaced by your heart and your affections and see what what if our language wasn't just our language it was your language see what what if our entire life was wrapped up in you Lord, I'm convinced that would turn the world upside down. And Lord, our world desperately needs Christians who know their calling. And this calling that we have, which is you, becomes the undercurrent and the foundation, the absolute assurance in our life. See, so what would it look like to walk forward in boldness and confidence and faith and trust, knowing the power of our God is working in and through us. So what would it look like if, if we could boldly and confidently share the gospel because we knew that we, we just know with confidence our calling and the hope it produces. So Lord, whatever it is that you need to do in our life so for, for us to perceive and grab a hold of and understand and see our calling, would you, would you do that in us, Lord? And I pray that our calling would only increase and Lord, for those who have, a, who have a calling to missions or plumbing or, or whatever it may be, Lord, we, we thank you for that calling. But Lord, let them not miss the fact that their primary calling is not a job, it's not an activity, it's you. And hey, if you, if you transfer them out of whatever they're, whatever they're currently doing into some other profession, then praise the Lord, their key, true, one, primary calling has not changed even though the activities or their profession, their work may have changed. Lord, may our calling grow ever bigger in our life. May we just get soaked and saturated and permeated with this calling because it's you and we want more of you. We long to know your heart and your mind at a whole deeper level. So Lord, I just pray that as time goes by, our calling only increases. This calling only gets better. This calling only consumes us even more. And Lord, let us not just, let us not just become mundane or just okay with a calling. Lord, I pray that this calling would produce an overwhelming passion and excitement of fervor in our life that only increases as time goes by. That it's like our calling consumes us the more we become consumed with the calling. Lord, we thank you that you are our calling. That you've invited us to a banquet. Sat us at the best seat in the house. You put the best, richest, choicest foods in front of us. In fact, you put this banner over us and it says love. Because you're drawing us into greater relationship and intimacy and oneness. Love you, Jesus. We just give you the praise and the glory. Precious, powerful name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this study from the book of Ephesians with Nathan Johnson. If you'd like additional resources to help you build your life around Jesus, I encourage you to check out my website at deeperchristian.com. This podcast is the audio version taken from my video series in Ephesians. And if you'd like to view the video version of this study, you can do so by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash Ephesians. No, I am cheering you on as you build your life around and upon Jesus Christ. See you next time.